Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This is the Den of Geek podcast, featuring commentary on the latest news from denofgeek.com, as well as other behind-the-scenes content from your favorite movies, TV shows, and more. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is episode 15, the late edition of G News for August 2018, in which we'll be tackling highly charged topics like toxic fandoms, whitewashing in Hollywood, and the value of yet another streaming service. (laughs) Although we are taking a very lighthearted approach to those stories in the context of some of the news that's going on out there. And we will also be sharing with you guys a wonderful bonus item that I'm happy to share with you, my interview with director and screenwriter Andrew Bajalski, who recently released his film Support the Girls, which came out on August 24th. And just a wonderful conversation about a movie that is very uplifting and very funny, a great comedy that anybody who wants to feel good and have a heartwarming experience in the theater, I'll recommend that. And plus, he had a lot to share about the process of making the movie. So we'll talk to him later, but let's go ahead and dive in with some of those topics you mentioned, Dave, with the news for the last part of August. All right, Mike, even though Lost has been off the air for quite a while, the networks are still hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. So if you want to produce a movie or TV show centered around a major airplane disaster, then Robert Zemeckis may be your guy. Now, widely known for directing Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Forrest Gump, and Back to the Future, Zemeckis also helmed the 2012 film Flight and the 2000 Tom Hanks survival movie Castaway. So when NBC decided it wanted to keep its foot in the science fiction door, it called on Zemeckis and his project Manifest was given a pilot order back in January. Now, yeah, And I heard about this at the time and I was thinking that was a magical formula, but until I heard more, I kind of just thought of Lost having the airplane in its plot line and couldn't get past that for a while. Yeah. Now, in keeping with the current trend of releasing the pilot early, NBC has walked that trend back just a bit and made the first act of Manifest's pilot episode available for early viewing. So if you don't know the story, Montego Air Flight 828 undergoes a time displacement that simultaneously saves and destroys the affected families. Beyond that, we're not given much more than can be found in trailers and teasers. Now, you might recognize Once Upon a Time's Josh Dallas, who highlights the cast, is going to be joined by Athena Carcanus, J.R. Ramirez, Luna Blaze, Jack Messina, and Parveen Kaur. Now, to give you a little bit more, I, I think I implied earlier that that was all we knew about the premise. We, we've got a commercial flight full of passengers, and it completely disappears from radar. Only to resurface five years later, the catch? The ordeal was instantaneous for the passengers who didn't experience any time lapse whatsoever. Thus, 
they've been thought dead for the past five years, and the mysterious disappearance will provide the focal point of the series. Very cool as a hook. Yes. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Right now, savvy sci-fi fans might think this sounds suspiciously like the 4400, which aired between 2004 and 2007. And if you're hoping this might turn out to be the next loss, isn't that what they all hope? Manifest (laughs) is getting an early start on NBC as part of the early fall lineup debuting Monday, September 24th at 10 p.m. Eastern. So take a listen to how actor Josh Dallas characterizes the show on the Today Show when Jenna Bush Hager wondered how much it's like Lost. It's a mystery. It's it tugs at your emotional heartstrings and it's about ordinary people going through something extraordinary. But it's, is there some scariness to it? Is it lost? I mean, like that is scary. Yeah, is, I feel like this is going to be the yeah. new Lost, and I loved Lost. It's Lost meets <laughs> This Is Us. Lost. There you go. This is us. <laughs> okay, Lost meets This Is Us. I, I can see how that might be a nice formula, but maybe wishful thinking on Josh's part. <laughs> Two great shows. I hope he's right. <laughs> well, that's great, and I am intrigued by the show. I won't lie but I'm kind of cautiously optimistic in this particular sense. But let me go ahead with my TV news to start off with. And the controversial topic that I'm be covering for this one is yet another streaming service. Really? (laughs) Because you know, there's a lot of competition in that arena, but this one's a little different. And this comes from the story DC universe streaming service launching in September by Mike Cicchini, our editor in chief. And Mike is a, you know, comic book aficionado, especially in the DC universe and DC universe is going to showcase original programming like the long awaited young justice outsiders and a live action teen Titans TV series, which definitely is something people are looking forward to. Also a Harley Quinn animated series, a doom patrol show, and even a new swamp thing TV series. But you think, okay, there's a wealth of things for the, from the, for them to pull from. But don't forget, DC has a comics library to pull from, too. So membership in this streaming service actually also includes access to curated selections from the DC Comics library. So you'll have access to milestone books like Action Comics number one, Detective Comics number 27, modern touchstones like Jeff Johns and Jim Lee's Justice League and Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's Batman and even some more obscure titles if you want to dig deeper. So that's something that most of the other streaming services cannot claim to have is, is the written content or the artistic content as well. Yeah. And how smart is that? Because they've already got it. They just have to convert it to a digital format. So, wow, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's going to necessarily replace the in-hand comics experience, but I don't think that's what it needs to do. You could actually say I can only afford so many comics. So if I have this subscription, I can fill in the gaps where needed, where I don't necessarily have to have it on my shelf. So sure. And somebody that's more casual about it, like me, it would be perfect. So Dan Didio, the publisher of DC entertainment says we wanted the DC universe comics reader to be a blend of art and technology that would further enhance the fan experience of the live action and animated program on DC universe, this hand curated selection from our decades of comic creations gives fans a thematic digital long box to carry with them on the device of their choosing, or lets them watch exclusive video content on a big screen followed by the comic that inspired it. I just think that's a really, really cool idea. So in addition to the comics and original programming, you can also watch classic superhero movies such as the Christopher Reeve Superman films, among other things. 
But there's also a social component to it. DC Universe is going to allow fans to create their own playlists and reading lists and then be able to share them both externally uh, outside of the service and internally within DC Universe. So the forums that are hosted by the service will be available for that reason. And there's a DC encyclopedia that will be available for fans too as a reference guide. So launches on September 15th. It's $74.99 annually which sounds like a punch in the gut, but that's actually only seven ninety nine a month if you want to do it monthly and the discount for the annual service. So an interesting formula, and they might actually have a leg up on the competition in that sense. Well, I guess we'll see. All right, well, Mike, do you remember the season two episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that featured Sky's one-shot, one-take fight sequence? Oh, yeah. Oh, I loved that. I forgot about that. It was wonderful. And, and I think sometimes we forget not only how difficult these sequences are to pull off, but how rarely we actually see them on the small or big screen, for that matter. So imagine employing this technique with a full-length feature film the entire way through. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine Now, while most film fans are intimately acquainted with Alfred Hitchcock's classic psychological thriller, The Birds, casual observers may never even have heard of his experimental work, Rope, a film that gives the illusion that it's filmed in one long take from beginning to end. And the interesting thing is that Rope was largely dismissed upon its release in 1948 as a gimmick and then was mostly ignored during the rest of Hitchcock's life. And Renowned film critic Roger Ebert asserts that Hitchcock may have been happy that the film was rarely revived or revisited in the ensuing three decades. That's interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the approach. Are you looking at it as a filmmaker yourself, a film aficionado, or as someone who just wants to see the story of it? Yeah. And while Hitchcock's film was largely ignored, Alejandro G. Inaritu made a film called Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, which essentially took the same technical approach and was rewarded with Academy Awards for Best Director and Best Film. (laughs) And while Hitchcock moved on from Rope, Inaritu apparently couldn't help but pile on calling Rope terrible and that the two shouldn't even be compared. (laughs) That's someone who sounds a little territorial. (laughs) Right. Now, Rope was adapted by Hume Cronin and screenwriter Arthur Lawrence from Patrick Hamilton's 1929 play of the same name. And that play was in turn inspired by the infamous blue blood murderers, Nathan Leopold Jr. and Richard Albert Loeb, Leopold and Loeb, if you remember your history. Both considered gifted young intellectuals and child prodigies, the two became the epicenter of the crime of the century when after their first year at the University of Chicago, they abducted and murdered 14-year-old Robert Franks in 1924 in an attempt to execute the perfect crime. Imagining themselves to be Nietzsche's supermen, they considered the killing of a child to be a demonstration of intellectual superiority, and they received life sentences for their troubles. I think they got off easily there. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I've only scratched the surface here, but if you want to read more in-depth analysis and historical perspective of this forgotten gem, check out David Crow's Alfred Hitchcock's Robe and the Illusion of the Uninterrupted Take on the Den of Geek website. Uh, That sounds like something I might have to bring to my uh, video production class (laughs) that I teach to high schoolers. That sounds like a, a great study of a great director. Well, let me go into my movie news since you went with that one. And this one I could not be more excited about because it kind of bridges video games and movies. And 
you know, you and I kind of dabble in video games, but there's one game that both me and my 10-year-old daughter both have enjoyed on our phones, and that's Monument Valley. And this is a great video game that, guess what? They're going to turn it into a movie, and that may sound like a scary prospect, especially once you hear the premise of this video game, because it's really a stylized puzzle game where you guide a cone-headed princess, very cartoonish and simplistic stick figure style, around this Escher-like geometric castle where you have to manipulate things in a kind of impossible way, uh, just like Escher's art. And you you might walk up a upside-down staircase and all these architectural illusions, casually avoiding these humanoid crows and generally feeling pretty zen because it's not really an intense puzzle game. It's really just kind of cool with ethereal music in the background. So that doesn't sound like a very obvious choice for a movie adaptation. And I'm really kind of intrigued by the idea that it could even be considered to be adaptable, but that's, what's going to happen courtesy of Paramount pictures. (laughs) Now, do we know it's whether it's targeted towards adults or kids or both? I have no clue, but it's one of these games that wasn't developed by this huge video game production company and marketed the heck out of. It was just a small little project done by eight people at London's Us Two Games. And the game went on to get over 160 million downloads. And the guy who developed it couldn't quite believe his luck. In fact, he said to the BBC, his name is Dan Gray, he said, to get to this point from a group of people in Shoreditch just wanting to make something they were proud of, it's really humbling. I keep not knowing where this crazy roller coaster is going to end now that there's this prospect of a movie. And of course it's going to be directed by Patrick Osborne who won an Oscar for his short film feast back in 2014. And this is one of the few Oscar winning shorts that I've actually seen. It's a wonderful tale of a love story seen through the eyes of a dog. And he also went on to work on Wreck-It Ralph too as the animation director. So the film will be an animated take on the mobile game developed under Akiva Goldsman's weed road pictures. And Dan Gray isn't worried about the video game movie curse. He says one of the reasons we decided to give this the time of day is that it's a story that leaves a lot to your imagination. The story of Monument Valley is down to a player's interpretation. So if the film is something that captures the identity of the visuals and the feeling and the characters, they can go wherever they want with that. So I can't wait to see what this brings to the screen. Hopefully something as unique as Monument Valley the game. So if you want to read more, just check out Paul Bradshaw's article, Monument Valley Movie Coming. All right, Mike. Well, we don't often talk about books on the Den of Geek podcast, but sometimes something just comes to our attention that's too good to ignore. And arguably the greatest science fiction television series of all time, Battlestar Galactica, The Reimagining, continues to find new fans almost 10 years after leaving the air. So when I found out that Mark Altman and Edward Gross released So Say We All, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of Battlestar Galactica, you know I was going to have to track down a copy. Yeah, and this is uh, something that goes back in my history a ways because I met Ed Gross uh, on a set visit right before he came out with the similar unauthorized book for Star Trek. And now the fact that he's come out with one for Battlestar Galactica, it's really cool. And uh, and next, hopefully I will see him at New York comic-con and 
sort of say, you've done it again, Ed. <laughs> yeah. But there's a really interesting twist here because the book and its authors propose an interesting premise that states had the show gone beyond its four seasons, it could have resulted in higher ratings, they say. But fandom would have also tried to claim a much greater ownership of the show and would have attempted to dictate how things should go. And as you well know, this is something I feel really strongly about. And I completely agree with Edward Gross's sentiment. Oh, yeah, because that was the very beginning of that phenomenon. And it's only gotten worse as time has gone by. Yes. So. So Say We All covers both the 1978 series and the 2003 Ronald D. Moore reboot and provides fascinating bits of trivia, some rather startling insight into how old school fans reacted to the reimagining when it first aired. I do feel there are some original fans, Altman says, who could never get over the fact that the new BSG was truly a reimagining and not a sequel or a remake. And he goes on to compare this response to hardcore Trekkies when Next Generation came out in 1987. They just didn't have social media to complain about it back then. <laughs> exactly. Now, perhaps nothing rankled original BSG fans more than Moore's decision to reimagine hotshot Viper pilot Starbuck as a woman, played ultimately by Katie Sackhoff. Message boards referred to the show as Gino, Galactica <laughs> in name only. And they made Boomer a girl, too. What the heck? I <laughs> uh, know. And the fact that Richard Hatch, who portrayed the original Starbuck, appeared in the reboot as another character, simply exacerbated fans' ire. I'll never understand that. <laughs> so what was it like when Moore premiered his reimagining at a Galactica convention? They booed and hissed, Moore says in the book. They really did. Oh, wow. I'm not making it up. And they hated Starbuck. <laughs> oh, God. When everything seemed like it was getting out of control, Richard Hatch, the only person who could turn the tide, told the crowd to settle down and treat more with respect. Altman said Richard Hatch literally had to stop fans from heckling Ron Moore at that Galactica convention. <laughs> it's an early glimpse of the toxicity that would infect fandom over the next decade. And as you alluded a few minutes ago, truth be told, things have only gotten worse. I mean, just ask Jason Rothenberg over at The Hundred. Yeah. That said, you can read much more in Ryan Britt's article, How Battlestar Galactica Barely Survived Toxic Fandom. A fascinating article that actually just came out very recently with regard to the recording of this podcast. So I'm glad that one snuck in before we... <laughs> decided to sit down and record this one because it, it really was one of the highlights of the past couple of weeks. Now I'm going to end with. A I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Another movie that has really kind of come out of the gate strong, and it's hard to say whether or not it was predicted or not, but the signs of its success are felt hugely in the article that Katie Wong wrote for Den of Geek called How Crazy Rich Asians is changing the face of Hollywood. And this couldn't make me happier personally as a movie viewer. And I'm hoping that's the general consensus out there because we've seen the whitewashing of various Asian roles in recent years. And for this movie to have the success that it's having, I think is really showing as Katie Wong asserts in her article, a change in the climate. Yeah. And I, I'm not surprised. I, I really am not. I, I mean, I'm overjoyed, but uh, I, I really expected this to happen. I know that sounds like uh, Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> exactly, but. but totally does. And and the thing is, it seems obvious now. But we, you know, we, you and I are not in the business, so I think it's easier for us to say out in the audience that this is how it always should have been done. But obviously, there are business concerns that have changed over the years, and I think the audience pressure is what's going to do it. But for those who are not familiar with the film, it's based on a book by Chinese American author, Kevin Kwan, and it follows Rachel played by Constance Wu, a Chinese American who travels to Singapore with her boyfriend, Nicholas young played by newcomer, Henry Golding to meet his parents and attend his best friend's wedding. However, she soon discovers that her boyfriend is not only super rich, but is also one of the country's most eligible bachelors, a connection that makes her the unwitting target for money hungry socialites. And worst of all, Nick's overbearing mother, Eleanor, played wonderfully by Michelle Yeoh, and I always like seeing her in films as well. Hey, she so, was in Star Trek, right? <laughs> that's right. Exactly right. And uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, famously. But this is just a premise that is also kind of resurging in the film world, especially now that this has met some success. Maybe we'll see romantic comedies make a comeback because that's the category that this film falls under. But, you know, for a long time, whitewashing has overcast the careers of most non-white actors in Hollywood. It goes back famously to roles like Mickey Rooney's very stereotypical character in Breakfast at Tiffany's. But even recent whitewashing has been used to secure popular actors in Hollywood productions such as Matt Damon in The Great Wall. And, of course, Scarlett Johansson in the remake of the Japanese anime Ghost in the Shell and Emma Stone's half-Chinese character in Aloha. So the good news, at least for us as audience members, not so much for the actors themselves, is that all three of those films were criticized for their casting choices, and everyone was questioning why Asian actors weren't used. And so it's something that's trying to be overcome in film, but there is good news. Times are changing, and with fans crying out for authenticity and faithfulness to the source material, I think this movie has started the trend that will be the norm from now on. Notably, Nikki Caro has cast Asian actors in her live action remake of Mulan. And of course, crazy rich Asians, all Asian cast itself. Now we wanted to just have one of the cast members speak to this concept. So uh, take a listen to Aquafina talking to entertainment tonight at CinemaCon about this phenomenon of, finally getting the casting for Asian roles correct. And if you think about 25 years, that's an entire adult life that went, that grew up without seeing representation. 
um, in, 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 her, in his or her life. And so this movie uh, answers that question, and it's about time, I think. And not only that, it's a great movie. So again, I think she definitely said it best there. And due to an increased media presence and intense word of mouth from Asian Americans, and I think the general populace that goes to the movies, Crazy Rich Asians did top the U.S. box office on its opening weekend, making it the first romantic comedy to do that in three years. So I think this is going to be great for not only people of Asian descent, but people of color in general in Hollywood. So so happy about that. And hopefully that trend continues. Cool. Uh, you know, I'm going to unfortunately have to wait till it's out on uh, DVD, but <laughs> I do look forward to seeing it. Yes. And probably the same could be said for our bonus segment, the movie support the girls, which has been limited release, but it is on video on demand as of August 28th. And that's support the girls, which is a great little comedy, small budget comedy, you know, but it's just got a real heart to it. It started building buzz at South by Southwest as this uplifting, if you'll pardon the pun, comedy with an outstanding performance by Regina Hall of Blackish and way back Ally McBeal fame. She plays the manager of a Hooters like sports bar. That's why my uplifting pun there and the support. The girls has several meanings, of course, as well. The title and Lisa is ultra protective of her skimpy clothed waitresses. And this lighthearted but satirical story of this cockeyed optimist was written and directed by Andrew Bajalski, who's known by some as the godfather of mumblecore. But that's a term that has sort of gone up and down in terms of its favorability. So I asked Andrew Bajalski about the mumblecore thing leading into this interview. And then we spoke a little bit more about his wonderful movie. So take a listen to my discussion with Andrew Bajalski about Support the Girls. Hello. Hello. Is this Andrew? Yes, it is. Hi. <laughs> I'm so glad you could talk to us today about Support the Girls. It was an enjoyable movie to watch, I guess you could say, very uplifting. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Now, before we get into the meat of this story that you've put together here, I wanted to ask you about the term mumblecore, mm -hmm. because on the one hand, I kind of feel like it sounds a little bit pejorative, but also it's kind of cool that this narrative style has a name. What are your thoughts on on this subgenre of realistic fiction? Uh, well, you know that was the thing that was a that was a tag that got um, applied about oh you know more than a decade ago now to some kind of low budget chatty character focused movies. And, uh, you know, I, I think at the time, if you'd asked me this question 10 years ago, I probably would have been a little grumpier about it. Yeah. Uh, mostly because it did, at the time it felt, you know, I mean, you, you pour your heart and soul into something and then um, people kind of want to reduce it to a funny word. Right. But uh, in, in retrospect, it's something that I feel more, more warmth about. And it's certainly, to the extent that there was a community, and I think maybe in some people's minds this was like, this was a a very cohesive collective of people, which was never really the case. It was always just a few folks who admired each other's work and had each other's email addresses. But you know, it was certainly a, a creative and supportive and productive community. So I'm 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 plenty happy to be associated with that. I don't know. As for the rest of it, I'm I'm too I'm too close. You know, to the extent that <laughs> there is a kind of aesthetic style there, I I would be the last to know it because for me, I was just kind of working from from what I knew. And certainly certainly there was never anything calculated about it 
in terms of let me go out and uh, either invent and or you know emulate the the mumblecore style. I didn't I didn't know what that. I still don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> just making the movies that meant something to us. Well, that's what's so unique about support the girls. The storytelling style it almost feels in some ways more like a vignette than a full blown narrative. So if you talk about this being a day in the life of manager Lisa Conroy, played by Regina Hall of this Hooters like establishment called double whammies, can you give us a sense of the plot, but also kind of characterize how the script is structured and what decisions you make just to make it not sound so much like a plot summary? <laughs> yeah, well, it is. Um, I think the the best I can do to summarize it is to say that it, it's a movie about a very determined, incurable optimist having her optimism battered over the course of a day. And, you know, it's a story of what what she goes through, what she gets out of that, and what it means when the best of intentions blow up in your face. You know, all, all Lisa ever wants to do is take care of people and be good to people, and to an almost pathological degree, and it gets her in trouble. And that's kind of... <laughs> the, the movie is that journey. And I think maybe the movie is also posing the question then is that what is it worth what is what is the what is the value of good intentions is it still worth something even if they don't work out the way you wanted so all those questions were, were fascinating to me and led me on this journey of, of wanting to wanting to follow this person around well it strikes me as the subtlety of the narrative style as we've been mentioning that fits well with this story is that it, it's not a full-blown satire but it does kind of showcase the irony of this family feel of an exploitative restaurant model, making some of the regular customers of double whammies, both sympathetic and faintly ridiculous, but also the women themselves that work there aren't perfect either. So was it difficult to walk that line for both the customers and the clientele or the employees and the clientele, especially as a male screenwriter? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I think for me uh, as a writer and as a, human i'm not that interested in heroes and villains you know i'm not it's not terribly appealing to me to um knock over a straw man or to put somebody on a pedestal and uh, i'm always just trying to meet people where they are i'm always you know with characters i want to try to get a sense of where they're coming from what they're going through and nobody's living a life that they design you know everybody plays the hands that that they're dealt and uh, and everybody's Everybody's flawed. I hope that as a writer, I think I'm, I'm also trying to operate from a place of real affection for those characters. So I can't, I can't write a character who I don't on some level like, you know, even when <laughs> I'm writing a character who is being an asshole for one reason or another, it's counterintuitive to me. I, I just, I wouldn't, I don't really know how to do it, how to write somebody who is a, who is a bad guy, you know? So I think I feel like I've kind of wandered away from your question, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I think you said that the, that these places are you know sympathetic while being faintly ridiculous, and to me that's just the reality of of what those places are, and uh, and it's yeah. also it's also the reality of a lot of a lot of our lives. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I think I think a lot of us are sympathetic while being faintly ridiculous. <laughs> Well, it's interesting that you brought up the idea of a villain, though, because it must have helped a little bit to have this competing restaurant chain, Man Cave, mm -hmm. where the tone was much more overtly demeaning towards women. 
And was that helpful for storytelling? And not to, not the least of which also is the double whammy's owner kind of felt like the villain of the story as well. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was aware, and, and to me, honestly, that's, that is the trickiest thing of writing this movie for me, is that because I, I was certainly aware that people were going to want to perceive the Cubby character as a villain, but I couldn't write him that way, if that makes sense. You know, as a mm-hmm. writer and director, I couldn't say, all right, now let's get the bad guy in here to sneer and make everybody mad. Even, even when you kind of know that that's going to happen by the nature of how it's set up, um, just because it's impossible for me to understand somebody's motivations because I don't think anybody gets up in the morning and says, let me be villainous. You know, well, take that back. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe the Martin Shkreli's of the world do that, you know. Even those guys, <laughs> somewhere deep down, there's something motivating that. So, that, you know, there, there was a line to walk. I mean, you know, he had to fulfill his function in the story, and of course the audience is going to be sympathetic to Lisa there. Um, but And this was something that I certainly discussed with uh, the great James LeGros, who was playing that character, was um, just finding our, wind- our way into that guy and kind of trying to know where he was coming from. And even as he's not um, the most charming fella, I, you know, we did not we did not set out to, to build the villain there. Now, without spoiling things, one of my favorite storylines that's kind of on the side and still has that very subtle tone that I loved about the movie are Lisa's marital woes because... Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. You're almost leaving it up to the viewer to decide whether the husband's apathy is to blame for their problems or if it's Lisa's extreme dedication to her girls. Is that kind of a purposeful uh, setup that you've put there? Because it's just so wonderful because there's almost no dialogue to help you make the decision. You just have to go with what you see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and boy, those um, Regina and Lawrence Varnado who plays uh, who plays her husband were, um, they were so good and they, they got across so much with so little. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I mean, I, when a relationship crumbles, it's again, there's not, <laughs> it's, it's, it's rare that you can say, well, it's because you did this, you know, it's usually because of the whole, a whole complicated web of things and how people are interacting and how these little problems get reinforced and turn into big problems. And when you're dealing with other stresses in your life, it's tough. It's work. It's work keeping a relationship together, and sometimes it's there's nothing more tragic when when that work doesn't pay off. But I thought there was a real a real beauty and a real poetry to what uh, those two actors were able to get across. Now, much is made of Regina Hall's performance in this movie, and I think that's well deserved out there in all the various articles that you can read about this movie. Did she or any of the other girls? take some convincing with this concept or, or what was their reaction to the script when they saw it? Uh, you'd have to ask them individually, but I, you know, <laughs> I think, yeah, to, to a certain degree, I think it's, uh, it is kind of self-selecting. I'm sure there were plenty of actors who, who saw the log line and said, you know, here we are in a Hooters S sports bar. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of actors who didn't read past that, but, uh, but the ones who were, who were game enough to, uh, to give it a read and maybe um, could sense a little of what we were going for, uh, we couldn't have been luckier to, to pull together the, the group that we did. I think, for me, top to bottom, it's, a, it's a quite an extraordinary cast. And, of course, you know, as the linchpin, she holds everything together. She's in nearly every scene. She's in nearly every shot of every scene. And it's a very challenging role. But then... You know, as as she supports them, they support her. It's a it's a 
it's a really amazing group we got around her. So I feel very lucky. It's my job just to kind of stand back and tell somebody. I don't even turn the camera on myself. I just tell somebody else to do it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and capture that and try to, try to stay out of the way. But I mean, and it's true for every movie I've ever made. I've done six features now, and there's certainly not a single one that I would say, well, you could cast anybody and it would work. I mean, that's that's never the case for for my films. It's always, I'm always throwing myself open to the heavens and saying, please, please send me the perfect people. <laughs> um, and I've been uh, profoundly lucky to have that work out for me a few times. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree more. Now, this movie is coming out on August 24th. Is that right? That's today, isn't it? Oh, that is. <laughs> I wasn't even paying attention to the calendar. But what, what kind of release are we seeing here? Is this going to be in art house theaters and wider release? How's it going to? How are people going to be able to find it? Uh, yeah, it'll be. It's it's in a bunch of theaters all around the country this week, and certainly people can go to their fandangos or whatever they do these days and see if it's near them in big cities. And if you're not in a big city and it's not uh, it's not somewhere near you, then it'll be out on VOD a few days after that. I think on Tuesday. All right. Well, I think we can definitely highly recommend it. And thank you very much, Andrew Bajalski, for talking to us today about your movie. Thank you so much. All right. And I'm so glad that Andrew was a good sport about my uh, questions about Mumblecore. But I'm definitely happy that he was able to share with us his experience with the cast of Support the Girls. And I do think he has been very fortunate in just getting some great actors for his small projects. And I hope we get to see more projects like this from him and it's always good to see regina hall in a role like this where she just knocked it out of the park cool but we hope you enjoyed all these topics that we brought up today in our news segments and our bonus segment as well but that's going to be it for this installment of the den of geek podcast join us again in two weeks for this september 2018 early edition of g news when we'll hash out the latest from denofgeek.com and share some more behind the scenes content from your favorite tv shows movies and more and if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and now Spotify. He yeah, is very happy about that. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gays wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com <laughs>